Open your Bibles to John 17. John 17. We'll read this evening, verse 24. Near to the end of this wonderful prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. John 17 and verse 24. The Bible reads, Father, I will that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. The first word of this verse tells us clearly that it is a prayer. God the Father is being spoken to. Who is talking? Do you see in verse 1? These words spoke Jesus. This is a picture or a prayer between the Son and the Father. Jesus Christ is entirely God. And here, he speaks to the Father, who is also entirely God. And this 17th chapter is one of the high marks of Scripture as one of the great prayers between the Father and the Son. There are a few others in the Bible. In Psalm 40, we have a prayer from the Son to the Father. And then again, in the book of Luke, recorded in Matthew 11, there is a prayer between the Father and the Son, from the Son to the Father. But there are not many prayers that Jesus prays to the Father recorded in the Bible. And this is the longest one. The entire chapter is our Lord Jesus praying to the Father. He is praying this prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, where from his forehead came sweat like great drops of blood. This is late in the evening before the crucifixion. He will be taken in a few moments by the people sent from the high priests. And they will take him back to Jerusalem. And there in the middle of the night or the early morning hours they will illegally have a trial. From the high priest, he will go to Pilate. From Pilate, he will go to Herod and then back to Pilate. And by nine o'clock or so in the morning, his flesh will be 
pierced with nails. A few hours before that, at the last possible moment, he lifts up this prayer. He knows the greatest test that could ever come on any man is coming to him. He has already fought Satan single-handedly and won when he was in the wilderness. But now he must bear the weight of God's anger. And this is what he prays. What would you pray if you knew your death was coming and worse than death, God himself was about to turn all of his power on you? Sometimes people will say, wrongly so, that Christ suffered an attack from the powers of hell on the cross. No. Christ Christ defended and defended himself from the powers of hell in the wilderness, in the temptation. Here on the cross, he is confronted with the power of the Father. And this is what he prays before He faces the anger of God. The anger that created a lake of fire with no ending. That anger is going to come on him. And right here, Christ shows us how to pray at that time. Do you know how to pray? If you have ever wanted to learn how to pray Read this chapter. It takes about three minutes to read it slowly from start to finish. If you read this chapter once every morning, you will almost have it memorized by the end of the month. And you will learn how to pray. John 17 is one of the greatest parts of all the Bible. And this 24th verse is vitally important. Tonight, I want to open up this verse with three questions. I'm going to ask you these three questions. These are questions directed at you personally. So I put the word you in every one of them. If you want to take notes, you can, you can just at, write these three questions down. They come right from the passage. If you have room in your Bible, maybe you could put them in. Question number one. Does he pray for you? Look at verse 24. Father... I will that those whom you have given me would be with me where I am. Does he pray for you? He does not pray for all people. Who does he pray for in verse 24? 
the ones that the Father gave him. The Bible commonly speaks in two groups. Matthew 25, verse 32. Then he will set the goats on his left hand and the sheep on his right hand. How many groups? John 8, verse 44. You are from your father, the devil. There are children of Satan and there are children of? How many groups? There are the people of God and the people of the world. Look at chapter 17, verse 9. I pray for them. I do not pray for who? Could anything be clearer than that? I am praying for these people. I'm not praying for the world. But for the ones you have given me, for they are yours. Look at verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world hates them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. How many groups? We have the world, and then we have this other group that is given by the Father to the Son. Look at verse 16. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Look at verse 23. I am in them, and you are in me, so that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you loved me. It's two groups. Is that clear? This is why we have church membership. I want those two groups to be very clear. It might be painful for you if those groups are made clear. But pain sometimes brings healing. Paul the Apostle was in the wrong group on the road to Damascus. He was going to Damascus to kill Christians. A light shined down from heaven. He fell off his horse. He called out, what must I do to be saved? Or Lord, what will you have me to do? And within seven days, he was preaching the Christ whom he had come to persecute. He was in the group of the goats and he left that group and entered the group of the sheep. But how many groups were there? And it is vitally important that we make those two groups distinct. There are two groups and Jesus only prays for one. Look at verse 24. I pray for the ones that you have given me. What do the men do in this passage, in this section? What do they do? They do nothing. The father reached down to the goats and grabbed some of the goats and performed a miracle and made those goats to be sheep and put them in this group. What did the goats do? It was the father who said, I'm doing this. I'm going to make this happen. And you often find people that the father gave to the son doing very goat-like things before they become sheep. 
So if you find someone who's drinking or if you find someone who's cursing and hates God, don't say to yourself, oh, he won't come to church. Weren't you a goat too? And he reaches right down to goats and he pulls them out of their goatness and he puts them with the sheep. A woman named Lydia in Acts chapter 16 verse 14 was in the group of the goats even though she was praying. But in Acts chapter 16 verse 14 it says, the Lord opened her heart. That's what I pray for right here, that someone would stand up next Sunday night and say, God opened my heart. Children, you can do that too. We want to hear it. What does a pastor want more than that? He doesn't want big offerings. He wants people to stand up and say, just like Lydia, I was a goat. But God took me out of the goats and he put me in the sheep. God opened my heart. Let me ask you, how would you know if God opened your heart? How would you know if God gave you to the Son? It's not written on the face. It's not in your surname. It's not as if some of the mulaules are in and some aren't. It's not as if some of the Rambaus are in and some are... It's not on the surname. It's not in the culture. John 1 verse 13. Not of the will of man, nor of the will of the flesh, nor... Not of blood, nor of the will of man, nor of the will of the flesh, but of God. It does not come from man, but from God. How would you know if God gave you to the Son... John 6, 37. Callie, can you quote this verse? All that the Father... Colin, do you know that one? All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me... Whoever comes to me... Did the Father give you to the Son? Here's the question. Have you come... Did you come? Did you come to Christ? Not did you pray. Prayer is one thing. Goats pray. Coming is what sheep do. Baptism, some goats can do. Coming, only sheep can do. John 10, 26. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Goats don't follow. But listen to this one in John 10, 26. It's amazing. You do not believe because you are not from my sheep. Sheep come. Goats don't come. That's the difference. Have you ever come to Christ? Have you come Have you fallen on him? Have you cast yourself on him? Do you love him? Do you trust him? Do you obey him? Do you think about him? Have you believed in the Lord Jesus? Have you ever taken a journey where Jesus was the destination? 
Have you ever come to the point where you say, I would be happy if I lived in a shack, if only I had Christ. Christ only prays for the ones that the Father gave him. Question number two. Will you be with him? Where is he? Look in verse 24. I will that those also whom you have given me will be with me where I am. In Tsonga, Lahanzinga Kona. Where I am. Take out those three words and replace them with, a one, with one word. Where I am. Give me one word for where Christ is. Heaven. Notice that Christ wants us to be near him. You all love me. And I love you. But if I came to visit at your house... After a day, you would want me to leave. You would be happy for me to stay for a day, maybe two. But eventually you would say, Mita uh, Fambarini? What were you thinking, Pastor? To go tomorrow or today? I'm sure you have friends and family and you're glad when they visit. But in a sense, you're glad when they go so you can get back to your normal life. Jesus wants us to be with him forever. He loves you more than your mother does. Your mother, when you were a child, needed a break from you. There was a joke one time, the mother looked at the children while they were sleeping and said to the husband, I wish I could be at peace right now, but all I can think of them is as if they are batteries recharging to run again tomorrow. Your mother loves you, but she needs a break. Jesus doesn't want a break from you. You could annoy anyone if you stayed with them long enough, but you can't annoy Jesus. He desires for you to be there. What love is this? Do you ever pray for his presence to be with you? He's praying right here for your presence to be with him. He has no beginning and no end. He doesn't need you, but he loves you and prays for you to be with him. You have a beginning and an end. You are very weak and very sinful. Do you ever pray that Jesus would come and be with you? You ought to feel how little your love is for the Lord Jesus when you think of how much he loves you and how little you love him. Do you ever think about his absence He's not with you. He's left you. He's gone away from you. Notice that Jesus Christ is in heaven. Heaven is the name of the place where God specially dwells. 24 times in the Bible, 
The Bible calls God the God of heaven. How many times does the Bible call God the God of earth? Guess. One. 24 times he's the God of heaven and one time he's the God of and the one time he says he's the God of earth it's Abraham talking to his servant and Abraham says this the God of heaven and the God of earth it's as if the most important thing to think about God is he rules in heaven and by the way 22 of the 24 times The God of heaven is found in the Old Testament, two times in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, quoting the Old Testament. He is the God of heaven, and his son dwells in heaven. He is right now in the presence of the Father. And because the Father is in heaven, and the Son is in heaven, and he wants us to be there, he wants us in heaven Which means that he is praying for your death. Jesus Christ is praying that you would be with him. And how do you get to heaven but through dying? We are terrified of death and Jesus is praying for it. My dear friend Ivor has a church member whose adult son passed away this week from coronavirus or from pneumonia. He had pneumonia in the hospital for two weeks and then he also contracted coronavirus. And the church gathered to pray for this 38-year-old man and they prayed throughout the week that God would heal him until Ivor mentioned We're praying that God would heal him, and Jesus is praying that he would come meet Jesus. Whose prayer will the Father answer? If you hear that I have died in a car accident, don't pity me. I don't know if you will cry, but don't cry for me. The son's prayers have been answered. I've got what I want. And I've got what he wants. Death is terrifying to mankind for three reasons. Number one, they don't know what will happen. Number two, they are separated from those whom they love. And number three, they are terrified of the guilt of their sin in their hearts. But Christ was not terrified of death because think of those three reasons. Number one, did Jesus know what would happen after death? What would happen to him after death? He would rise again. He said it in John 10, 17. I have power over my life to lay it down and to take it back up again. This commandment I received from the Father. I'm ready. I'm I'm. I'm in control of this. When I'm ready to die, I will bow my head and give up my spirit. You don't take it from me. I give it up. And when I'm done giving it up, I take it back again. We're afraid of death because we don't know what happens, but he's not afraid of death because he knew it would happen. Number two, we're afraid of death 
because we'll be separated from our loved ones. But Christ was not afraid of death because number one, he would go to his father whom he loves. He said it earlier on in verse 23. You've loved them just like you loved me. Jesus knew when I die, I'm going to my father and I love him more than all others. And I'm praying that all of my people will be with me where I am. All the people that Jesus loves, he's going to meet them. So the second reason isn't the problem for him. What about the third problem? We are afraid of death because we are afraid of our sins. Christ had no sins. And he knew that once he bore the wrath of God for the sins of sinners, he could cast off that burden. The debt is paid. He could pick up all of his own infinite righteousness And carry that forth, conquering Satan and the grave. So the three reasons that make death terrifying to every man did not apply to the Son of God. All of the problems that make death hard are conquered by Jesus. What happens for us after death? We know we will be with him. What happens after death? We know we will not be separated from those we love. Because those who've fallen asleep in Jesus, God will bring with him. And we, will we be judged for our sins? Believers have already been judged on the cross. John chapter 19, verse 31, Jesus said, It is finished. How does Jesus want us to think about death? wants us to think about it as sleep. Many times in the Bible, the Bible says death is merely sleep. Lazarus was in the grave for four days and Jesus said, he's sleeping. They said, but if he sleeps, then he's doing well. You don't understand, it's just death. Just death. Humans would never say just death, but Jesus does. Oh, just death. That that thing over there. I can take care of that anytime. Stephen fell asleep after they mangled his body with stones. Can you imagine this? Being placed in a pit and having men stand around the top of the pit. And then they grab bricks and throw them one after another. And in that excruciating pain as your bones are breaking and your blood is coming out, you look up to to heaven and say, I see him standing on the right hand of the Father. Father, do not lay this sin on their charge. And when he had said this, Acts chapter 7 verse 60 says, he fell asleep. 20 minutes of pain and 2,000 years of glory for Stephen. True Christianity is the best religion because look how we handle the greatest issues of life. Dogs and animals want to eat and drink. They want to be warm. But humans are more than bodies. We have souls. Foolish religion 
Come, come, religions of the world. What can you offer? Islam, what do you have? Islam tells you, have you done wrong? Did you lie? Did you cheat? Were you selfish? Were you rude? Were you lazy? Wash your hands. Wash your elbows. Wash your ear with some water. Wash your lips with some water. Then you're done. Look what Christianity says. It's going to go right down to the heart of things. It's going to get right at your sin and right at death. If you are an animal, you can follow one of these other religions. But if you have a soul, then you need a religion that is going to deal with the problems of the soul. And that is ultimately why every religion outside of Christianity is racist. Every religion treats you as if you're nothing. You're just an animal, like a dog. What you really need is just to take care of the needs of the body and then everything else is fine. Christianity says death is the major problem because guilt is a major problem. But Christ takes care of that. Christ is in heaven and he wants his people to be there with him. Question number three, and this is the great question for the day. And those of you who heard this sermon in Tsonga, I cut most of this out. Question number three Do you desire his glory? Do you desire his glory? Look at verse 24. Father, I will that they also, whom you have given me, would be with me where I am. And now there's a reason coming. Why does Jesus want us with him? What's the reason? So that you may behold my glory. So that you may see my glory. The comfort in death is the hope of seeing Christ's glory. We will have eyes in heaven because we will see Jesus. We will have memories in heaven because we will remember our sin and we will remember the cross of Christ. We will have ears in heaven because he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. We will have mouths in heaven because we will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. Revelation 15 verse 3 says they will sing the song of Moses and of the Lamb. That's the song of the law of God and the song of the sacrifice of Christ. The old covenant and the new covenant will sing in heaven. We will eat in heaven because there's a great feast, a supper, Revelation 19.9. We will have bodies in heaven because when, we, when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Romans 8.17, there will be family in heaven because we will have our elder brother. We will have jobs in heaven because his servants will serve him, Revelation 22 verse 3. We will have different levels in heaven because he will reward us according to our works. Revelation 22, 12. Paul saw heaven while he was alive. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 2, 3, and 4. But when Paul was alive and he saw heaven, he came back and said, I don't have the authority Or the ability to explain what I saw. It's beyond me. I can't say it. I can't tell you what I saw up there. 
the experience that Paul had in heaven showed him that words were too weak for the wonder of Christ that he experienced. And that's why 1 Corinthians tells us, 1 Corinthians 2 tells us, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for the ones who love him. The true Christian is known because he desires to see Christ. He wants to know him and be known by him. But notice this remarkable phrase in verse 24. I want them to see my glory, which you gave me. Where did Jesus get his glory from? Muslims love that. They'll say, see there, the Father is God and not the Son. Go a little deeper. The Father pours out glory on his Son. He is eternally breathing out the Spirit. And he is eternally begetting the Son. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. He is constantly and from eternity begetting his Son. What does that mean? No one on earth knows. It's what happens when the human mind attempts to get its, its all of infinity inside. Can you put something that has no beginning and no ending in your mind? And as soon as an atheist says, that's a contradiction, we simply reply, if you can believe in anything infinite, then why would you have a problem with an infinite God Doing an infinite action. What's the difficulty there? Muslim, what's the hardship? You believe that Allah has no beginning and no ending? If you can somehow put into your mind a God who has no beginning or no ending, why can't you put in an infinite being? An infinite begetting? You say the first is impossible, then why not the second? Neither is impossible because God is infinite. Atheists, by the way, like to commonly speak about what as being infinite? Not God, but the universe. They will commonly speak of the universe at these days as being infinite. It's not infinite because only God is infinite. But how interesting... Every man has to have something that's infinite because, as Calvin told us, there's a sensus divinatus. Every man has in his heart something grasping out for eternity, which is why Ecclesiastes 3 says, God has set eternity in their hearts, inside the heart of every man, as a mark of the image of God that John Bunyan pictured with the S for King Shaddai marked on the heart of every man. There is eternity. There's something in man leaping out for the infinite. Christians know it is God. And he has a son. And from eternity past, he has been begetting his son. From eternity past, he has been breathing out the spirit. 
Hebrews 1 verse 3 says Jesus Christ is the radiance or the brightness of the Father's glory. Listen to the next phrase. He is the exact representation of the Father. Christ gets his glory from the Father, but it is such a a receiving that it's an exact receiving of all the Father's glory. What would you call someone who was exactly glorious as the Father? Wouldn't you call them God? That's exactly what you would say. To know Christ is to know God because Jesus even preaches the Father. John 1 verse 18. The only begotten, He exegetes Him. It's the Greek word that we translate as exegete. John 1 verse 18. The only begotten Son exegetes the Father. He's a preacher. Jesus is a preacher. The first and greatest, or the greatest of all preachers. He explains the Father. John 14 verse 9. Philip says, show us the Father if you've seen me. You've seen the Father. Do you want to see God? Look at Christ. And if you do not want to see Christ, then you do not want God. It is such glory that it can make the greatest mind exalt in the greatest activity for the greatest amount of time. Three greatest there. Let's see them. Look at verse 24. You loved me before the foundation of the world. Number one, you. Who's the you in verse 24? The Father. The Father has no beginning and no... His mind is the greatest mind. The greatest mind... For the longest time, from before the foundation of the world, does the greatest action. John Owen says, it is the highest property of the soul to love. If it is the highest property of the soul to love, then the greatest mind, the Father, does the greatest action, loving, for the longest period of time, from eternity past, even till now. And he does all of that to Christ. If you like beautiful things, then you must love Jesus Christ. This is why the Father has enjoyed him from all eternity past. Do you like beautiful things? Of course you do. That's what it means to be beautiful. Now take, take and gather up all the beauty of all the world. Think with me and do this imagination. If you have no imagination, you're gonna be, it's going to be hard to be a Christian. You're going to be a bad Christian if you don't have an imagination. And this verse proves it. Because Jesus wants you to see his glory in heaven. And he wants you right now, Nico, he wants you right now in your mind to get some kind of a picture of the glory of Christ so that all of your life, from the time you're 15 until the time you're 85, you'll have in your mind, in your imagination, the picture of the wonder of Christ's glory. And right now you see it by faith, but someday you will see it by sight. Because he says you will behold his glory. You will see it. Take all the beauties of all the world and blend them together. What is beautiful to you? What food do you like? Is chocolate beautiful? 
Put it in there. Is the color red beautiful? Is that light blue beautiful? Are lions beautiful? Are mountains beautiful? Is your wife beautiful or the wife that you want to have? Are children beautiful? Is singing beautiful? Put all of that together. What car is the most beautiful? What jet is the most beautiful? What phone is the most beautiful? What in our economy would you pay money for? Put that all in the pile. That's just a dot, not even a drop of the ocean of the beauty that is in Christ. Imagine that you're taking a walk and you walk up a mountain and when you get to the top, you think you're about to look down and see the valley. But what you see instead is you get to the top, there's another even more glorious mountain. And you climb to that mountain and you see something even more beautiful down below. And so you say, I've got to climb down to see that. When you get down, then you realize there's There's a lake that's even more beautiful than the mountain. And then when you get to the lake, there's a valley more beautiful than the lake. Then there's an ocean more beautiful than before. That is Christ. Heaven will be one experience after another from going up the mountain of Christ's love into the valley of His mercy, into the ocean of His anger, into the infinite sky of His wisdom, one after another. And when you think, I can't take any more, ten more will open up to you. And if you say, but sooner or later I have to reach an end, that's the point. There is no end. That's what makes heaven heaven. Not because you can sit down at a table and eat all the meat you want without paying. What makes heaven heaven is that you will never Come to an end of seeing Christ. And when you see that, you'll look back faintly on the earth. I say faintly because Isaiah 65 says, the former things will not be remembered or come into your mind. And you'll be there with your friends and say, wasn't there something that we thought we liked? Didn't we think we liked at one point? I thought we we used to think that a Mercedes was valuable. And we'll laugh and say, that was nothing. It was, a, it was dust. It was sand. It was so much garbage. This is valuable. Everything else will pass away. And we will look back at the past in whatever eyes we can to see them. The way you look back at your time as a two-year-old. When you were two, you might pick up a piece of mud and be fascinated with it for an hour. But you don't do that anymore. When you get to heaven, you will see the glory and wonder of Christ. And you will say, when I was on earth, why didn't I give my life and my heart only to this? Why did I ever do anything other than Christ? Because right now, what we do with our lives is an expanding of our cup. To hold the glory and joy in Christ in eternity. Our reward in eternity is the making of the size of our container right now. The more you serve Christ now, you are expanding your mind and your soul to hold pleasure and joy and hope in Christ. And I plead with you for your own sake. 
Love Jesus. Read the Bible. Memorize verses. Devote yourself to serving him now because every time you do, it's expanding the cup of pleasure that you will one day drink. Everyone who goes to heaven will drink the same water of life, but some will have a swimming pool and some will have a cup. I want a lake. I want an ocean of pleasure in Christ. What makes Christ beautiful? It is that he blends the highest and the lowest. He has all power, and yet he washes feet. He he is beautiful because he not only blends the highest and the lowest, but the simple and the complex. You think it's beautiful to see something simple. Is it not also beautiful to see something complex? He is a son. Everyone knows what that is. But he's the eternally begotten son. No one knows what that is. Oh, I know what a son is. That's simple. Oh, but he's the eternally begotten son. I don't know. I can't even explain it. Christ is beautiful because he both loves and hates. He gives his life to save his enemies. What is that but love? And when he comes back, he will crush his enemies like a lion. Friends, I would close with asking you this. How have you sinned against Jesus Christ? Because we don't even care to think about him. Right now, I would come right into your hearts and grip your heart. And I would bring you to tears if I could. Have you thought about the glory and wonder of Christ this week? When you go tonight or tomorrow to confess your sin, let that be the chief sin. God set before me his son, and I valued him as if he were almost nothing. When we do think about him, is it only so that we can get back to our comfortable life? I think about Jesus because I'm in the hospital. I think about Jesus because, oh, it's time to do that again. And I want my mind to feel at peace. So I better, I better read my Bible. Would you like to have this kind of heart, but you feel like it's too far away and too difficult? This is why God has given us prayer. And this is the true meaning of what Jesus says. Anything you ask in my name, I will do it. That the Father may be glorified In the Son. We sometimes say, I've asked for many things. I asked that my uncle would get a job. I asked that I would pass. I asked that people would come to the church. And God didn't give it to me. When you ask God, make my cup larger. Make me able to love and understand Jesus. He will do it. 100% for sure. You will get it. And in the ages to come in eternity, you will laugh and rejoice that, oh, I prayed and God answered. Why didn't I start praying that prayer earlier? Pray in faith. This is what it means to pray in faith. Ask God tonight, oh, Jesus, be to me the greatest of all loves. Let my heart be taken up with Christ. Forgive me for neglecting you and rejecting you. And when you get to heaven, you will see that 
prayer was answered more than you could ask or think, Ephesians 3 verse 20. Beyond what we could ask or think, pray it now in faith. And when you get to heaven, your faith will turn to sight. And you will see that all of your prayers, that you would find joy and love and hope in the glory of Christ, were answered. What earthly friend would be happy if you always visited him just to eat his food or watch his TV? But you didn't care about him. How many of us are like that, caring very deeply about the things he gives us, but very little about himself? May God humble us. May we fast and pray. May we plead with God to increase our joy in the Lord Jesus so that we would behold his glory. And may we pray now that we would see it here on earth and that our capacity to see it would be far greater in heaven for our own joy throughout all eternity. And I preach this message Because I want you to be happy. Happier than you've ever known. Happier than you can even imagine in Christ. Let's close our eyes. Oh, Father, come and answer our prayers now. Oh, Lord Jesus, take our prayers and present them to the Father so that they will be answered. For we pray tonight that we would see your glory We pray that we would be sheep and that you would expand the horizon of our mind and our heart and our soul. Make us able, make us willing in the day of your power. Your people will be free will offerings. May that be our heart's prayer. Increase in us the joy and hope of seeing and loving and and enjoying Christ. We pray for all eternity that this prayer would be answered And that our hope would be in Christ. Amen.